0: Hello, I'm Matt Rizzolo, IP Litigation Counsel in the Washington, D.C. Office of Ropes & Gray. Today, I'm joined by my colleagues Doug Hallward-Driemeyer and Sam Brenner. Doug is a partner in the D.C. Office of Ropes & Gray and chair of the firm's appellate and Supreme Court practice. Sam is a senior IP litigation associate in Ropes & Gray's Boston office. In today's Supreme Court Preview podcast, we're going to talk about potential changes that may come from the judicial branch here in Washington, D.C. Specifically, we're going to talk about what many have called the most important patent case of the year, T.C. Heartland v. Kraft, which is being argued on March 27th. Sam, I'll begin with you. What's this case about? How did we get here? Well, Matt, this case is all about venue
1: in patent infringement litigation, Venue, referring to the geographic location or judicial district where a company may properly be sued for infringing a patent. The case goes all the way back to 2014 when T.C. Heartland was sued by Kraft in Delaware over three patents relating to concentrated liquid dispensers. T.C. Heartland, which is based in Indiana, argued that because it had no operations in Delaware and only a minimal percentage of its sales went to Delaware, the case should have been brought in Indiana instead. But both the Delaware Court and the Federal Circuit disagreed, and T.C. Hartland filed a novel petition for certiorari that apparently caught the Supreme Court's eye.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that. Doug, the Supreme Court doesn't grant a lot of cert petitions, right? What do you think it was about T.C. Hartland's petition or this case that may have led the court to hear this appeal?
2: Well, that's right, Matt. The Supreme Court hears only about 80 cases per year, and it receives approximately 100 times that many petitions for certiorari. So in a sense every cert petition is a long shot. The court doesn't provide specific reasons for granting any particular petition, but there're likely a couple of different factors at play here. First, intellectual property cases such as this one do not fall along traditional common ideological lines. And because the court's been sitting at 8 members for a little over a year since the death of Justice Scalia, the court has been taking more IP cases during that time, perhaps because of of the fact that it doesn't fall along those traditional fault lines. The second issue here is um, where a plaintiff can bring infringement cases has been the subject of great debate over the last several years nationwide. T.C. Heartland's petition was supported by several amicus briefs filed by companies, trade associations, law professors, economists, even a former Federal Circuit judge.
0: The idea of venue reform for patent infringement cases is something that's definitely been raised at various times over the last decade, both in the run-up to the 2011 American Vents Act and more recent attempts at so-called patent reform. Sam, why is this? Well, in short, it's because all roads
1: lead to Texas, and more specifically to the Eastern District of Texas, a largely rural district that since 2012 has been by far the most popular district for patent infringement cases. In 2015, for example, 44% of all patent cases filed in the U.S. were filed in this one district, the Eastern District of Texas. The second most popular venue was the District of Delaware, with 9% of cases.
0: And while a large number of companies are headquartered in Delaware, I'm betting that in many cases, the defendants in these patent cases don't have much of a connection to East Texas and don't want to have to defend against a patent case there, right? Yeah, that's right. The
1: Eastern District of Texas has proven very popular with patent plaintiffs for a number of reasons. First, it's a relatively fast jurisdiction, so plaintiffs are often able to get to trial faster there than they would be able to in other places. And over the last 20 years, plaintiffs have on average been far more successful in prevailing in jury trials in East Texas than in most other districts, and in recovering higher damages than they might in other districts as well. But beyond the ultimate resolution of the case, the judges in East Texas also employ local rules and manage cases in ways that defendants typically find disadvantageous. For example, the Eastern District requires defendants to make mandatory disclosures and document productions early in the case, rarely grants summary judgment or motions to dismiss in favor of defendants, and also rarely issues stays of litigation pending inter partes review proceedings. Plaintiffs are attracted to Texas by these sorts of
0: factors because they can be used as leverage over defendants in settlement discussions. But T.C. Heartland involves an Indiana company trying to get out of Delaware. At first glance, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with East Texas. Doug, what's the crux of the legal issue before
2: the Supreme Court? Well, it's perhaps an irony of this case, but whether we're dealing with Delaware or Texas or elsewhere, venue does matter. The question before the Supreme Court here is whether patent infringement actions are governed, at least in part, by the general venue statute, 28 U.S.C. Section 1391, or whether instead the special patent venue statute, that's 28 U.S.C. Section 1400B, is the sole and exclusive provision governing venue in these sorts of actions.
0: Okay, let's break this down a bit. What does the special patent
2: venue statute say? Well, Section 1400B says that in an action for patent infringement, it may be brought in either, one, the judicial district where the defendant resides, or two, where the defendant has committed acts of infringement and has a regular and established place of business.
0: Leaving aside the second test for the moment, where exactly does a corporation accused of patent infringement reside?
2: Well, that's precisely the issue here. The Supreme Court has previously said that for purposes of Section 1400B, a corporation resides in its state of incorporation only. But Section 1391, the general venue statute, says that an entity resides in any judicial district in which such defendant is subject to the court's personal jurisdiction which for most patent cases where the allegedly infringing products are sold nationwide means virtually anywhere in the United States. Sam, can you explain why courts would look
0: to the so-called general venue statute if there's a special law that governs venue for patent cases? Well, for many years,
1: they didn't. In 1957, the Supreme Court ruled in Forco Glass v. Transmira that Section 1400b is the sole and exclusive provision controlling venue in patent infringement actions and that it was not to be supplemented by the provisions of Section 1391. But in 1990, the Federal Circuit, in a case called V.E. Holding v. Johnson Gas Appliance, ruled that certain technical amendments made by Congress to the venue laws in 1988 changed the law so much that the Supreme Court's ruling in Fourco Glass no longer applied. T.C. Heartland is now effectively arguing that the Federal Circuit wrongly decided V.E.
0: Holding 27 years ago. The oral argument won't take place for another few weeks, but you've both read the briefs that have been filed. Any predictions? In recent years, the Supreme Court has seemed to have an affinity for reversing the Federal Circuit.
2: Well, I know that v. Holding has seemed like settled law for almost 30 years, but unchallenged law is not necessarily good law. And in fact, in the recent Apple v. Samsung design patent case, the Supreme Court issued a decision that something changed what had been settled law for over a century. It's interesting here because the Federal Circuit panel in the T.C. Heartland case was asking whether a more recent statutory amendment had overruled V.E. holding. The Supreme Court, however, will be asking whether V.E. holding was correct in the first place. And I suspect that the Supreme Court is gonna be more guided by its own earlier decision in Forco Glass.
1: I agree with Doug. I think there's at least a a good chance that the federal circuit will be reversed.
0: And I think much of the commentary on the case seems to agree with both of us. If the Supreme Court does reverse the federal circuit here, what are some of the implications that might have for patent litigation in the United States going forward?
2: Well, at the very least, patent cases are likely to be redistributed throughout the country and largely away from the Eastern District of Texas. Because companies could be sued where they are incorporated, and many are incorporated in Delaware, that district may actually see a rise in patent litigation. But 1400B also allows for venue delay where companies both have a regular and established place of business and have made infringing sales. So districts such as the Northern District of California, the Central District of California, the Southern District of New York may also become more popular. And certainly, rocket docket jurisdictions where companies may have a presence, such as the Eastern District of Virginia, could also see more litigation.
1: I think we're also likely to see parties litigate the definition of regular and established place of business, which is something that was a contentious issue prior to the 1990 VE holding decision. Modern issues relating to changing technology might make this more of a tricky thing to figure out.
0: What about for foreign companies who are neither incorporated in the U.S. nor maintain any place of business here? What consequences might a T.C. Heartland win have for them? For example, could it be that there's no district at all where they could be sued for patent infringement? So perhaps a patent plaintiff might have to resort to the International Trade Commission to
2: sue certain foreign entities? Well, the Supreme Court has previously held that venue for foreign companies is a unique issue, even in patent cases. So even with a T.C. Heartland win, foreign companies not incorporated in the U.S. could still likely be sued in any district in which the courts have personal jurisdiction. But that's an interesting question, and depending on how sweeping the Supreme Court's ruling is in T.C. Heartland, it may have consequences even for foreign entities, especially in light of some other recent Supreme Court decisions involving personal jurisdiction.
0: Before we wrap up, With oral argument not scheduled until March 27th and the opinion not likely until May or June, where does that leave patent litigants in the meantime? This seems like an awful lot of uncertainty, whether you're involved in a current patent case or planning to file a complaint. Well,
1: for a plaintiff looking at filing a potential case in the next couple of months, I think the big question you have to ask is whether it makes sense to sue in a district where venue might not be appropriate under 1400B. If the Supreme Court rules as many expect your case might be dismissed for improper venue in just a few months. Notably, for cases involving multiple defendants, such as both a customer and a supplier, it may actually be difficult to identify any district where venue is proper for all defendants.
2: For defendants, it's important to know that venue is an issue that can be waived. So defendants should be thinking about if and how they can challenge venue. Most often, this is done in a motion to dismiss, or in the answer, But if the case is at a relatively advanced stage, it may be more difficult to mount such a challenge. For defendants early in a case, though, one potential strategy would be to file a motion to dismiss for improper venue if the venue is actually improper under 1400B, and then ask the district court to stay the case in consideration of that motion until T.C. Hartland is decided. Interesting considerations for sure.
0: I'm personally looking forward to seeing the oral argument. Unfortunately, that is all the time that we have here today. Thank you, Doug, and thank you, Sam, for joining me in this interesting conversation. I'm looking forward to having another Supreme Court preview podcast soon. In the meantime, thank you all for listening, and please visit our Capital Insights page at www.ropesgray.com for more news and analysis on noteworthy issues arising out of Washington, D.C.